This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to our episode on things that fling. Can you believe I found a rhyme? (laughs) You know, it's going to be really fun. We have a few things to do before we start getting into catapults and things. Good point. Although catapults is the point of the day, I'm going to start with, I'm as always, the excited Sensei Michelle. And I'm Sensei Jackie. And I am happy to introduce (laughs) Sensei Derek today. You will remember him, of course, from many of our episodes, but we are really glad that he's here today on Things That Fling. Uh, Hello, everyone. And of course, I second your vote. We're glad you're here. Uh, Thank you so much. But the big news is the return after a month of being busy is Landon. Hi, everybody. I'm excited to be back. I've uh, been in a couple states since uh, I was last here (laughs) and had some debate tournaments and now back and uh, excited to be here to talk about flinging things. (laughs) I feel we could get into a debatable subject if we don't be careful. This actually reminds me that I saw somebody do a speech on things that fling. I'm not kidding. Did he steal my name? No, but it was all about military flings. Wow. Okay, we got to get on target here. The last time... (laughs) On target. Oh, get it? (laughs) The last time we saw Landon was when... Listen to this. Was when we were interviewing Sifu Rob Jones for the Aging (laughs) While Training or Vice Versa episodes. It's a long time ago, Sensei. Yeah. But this is perfect because I want to stop for a minute right now and share some of the listener mail we got from those two shows. Lots of you wrote in that you really enjoyed the two shows. And that definitely made me smile. Oh, it's me too, Sensei. And Kim wrote that she especially liked our mention of trigger points. Uh, so I like that too. And uh, you told me that Sensei Ed said you in a quote as well. He did. Will you read it for me? Sure. He didn't say where it came from, but here it is. You don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old if you stop playing. Oh, great quote. Yeah. Everybody agrees that staying busy is an important part of life at all ages. Uh, Busy and movement. True. One more thing about aging before we get into catapults. We mentioned during the episode that people are always aging. It seems like a stupid thing to say, but you don't notice it, right, uh, in the younger years. And I believe you said, Sensei Jackie, that... Even Landon, who has been training for just about 10 years now, is so different now than when he first started in the dojo. So my question to you, Landon, is now that you're back, do you have anything you want to add to the aging and training subject? Well, the great part of not being on episodes is that I get to listen to them and I don't know what's coming. And it's exciting to listen to the surprises. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode on aging and all the different perspectives that we got. And I believe that it was Shihan McKinnon that brought up the topic of constant aging, but also how our bodies are adapting, just like what we talked about in our letter episode. And for me, someone who's been in karate almost nine and a half years, I'm totally a different person from where I was. Yes, of course, in age, but the thing that comes with karate that's not only the technology is uh, the social aspects like self-control and having patience and remembering those things is really what comes with that that time in karate as well as that improvement on technology and the other thing i think that really comes is when you came into karate at five plus years old right 
the word responsibility wasn't even something you ever heard of. And now it's a huge part of your life, not just in karate, but all over your life. Us for sure. And I think that that taught me how to apply it into other parts of life because I learned it in karate and I apply it in other places. Yeah. And that's a really, really cool crossover. So if we still can talk to Landon in another 10 years, we're going to see where this went. Well, sign me up. (laughs) I I make the pledge that on November 12th, 2032, I will be 24 years old. I would love to come and talk on the podcast. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? I wonder what it's going to be like if we can just teleport ourselves (laughs) from wherever we are. I would not like to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I shared my story and you can too. Contact us all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Wildcat Dojo ad.com. That's our website, Dojo Conversations at AOL.com. And you can send us an email and Wildcat Dojo Conversations on Instagram. Okay, now seriously, it's time to what? It's time to fling into the future and talk <laughs> about catapults. Yay! Okay, Sensei Derek, would you please start us out with some history on devices that fling stuff across long distances? Oh, Sensei, will do. Uh, Let's start at a site called steamit.eur.org. There are three main categories of catapults. There are catapults that work by creating tension with rope and a wench, which we'll explain in a minute. Then there's the trebuchet, which flings stuff by creating a heavy weight on one side, And when the weight is released, it throws an object from the other side. And finally, there's the ballista, the giant crossbow of the ancient Romans. And all of this stuff is mainly used for military purposes. And let's mention the projectiles, and by that I mean the stuff we fling, from a site called mayflowerfederation.org.uk. Things that were flung include rocks, darts, arrows, hot tar, and even disgusting animal carcasses and poop. Ooh, gross. Right. But it's true, and it started as far back as the 4th century BCE in ancient China. So that's before the Common Era, a long time ago. Very near the same time the Greeks used the catapults, and so did the Romans. I'll also add that the Romans used the ballista, the giant crossbow, And they were probably the first to add fire to their arrows. Yes, there was flying fire. (laughs) And they used that in the battles they had between Rome and Constantinople. Okay, guys. First off, I love to think about Constantinople. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. I just do. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because it's a hard word. It's that old song, Istanbul, Constantinople. (laughs) Okay, let's get back to how they work. None of us are scientists, true? True. I am. (laughs) Well, there's still hope for you. But the system is pretty straightforward from what we read. Oh, that's right. We already said that catapults worked with a system of rope, which was made from hair, both human and animal. Then they added some sort of basic wench to pull the rope tight or twist it. So a wench is a little bit like the circular device you roll your garden hose on using a handle to wrap it in a circle. Hmm. Oh, I never thought about it that way. Right. Only instead of harnessing a garden hose, it harnessed power, which, when released, threw the object at the enemy. Got it. And what's also pretty cool is that the entire structure was made of wood, including the wheels that were used to move it into position. 
It's pretty interesting that they had wooden wheels. I really mm. think so. so and yeah. when you look at ancient pictures, you can see them. We suggest you look them up because they were really interesting. And I'm just saying, probably not easy to move. Oh, no. Or very oh, no. quiet. Or build. Or repair. Yeah. That's true. I read where the position of the catapult or trebuchet or whatever was figured out using geometry so that it would do the most damage. Can you picture an army moving across the land with horses, weapons, and catapults? Yes, but don't use the word geometry with me on a Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) I have had a six-day weekend because of Hurricane Nicole, and I haven't had to do geometry, so please... Oh my God. Please don't say that. We're congruent with you. <laughs> this is an interesting image. I will also, go ahead. I will also say that it's very interesting to see how much thought process, like they had to trial and error, figure this out, and then adapt it to their fighting styles and their way that they're approaching someone who maybe already knows how to deal with trebuchets and catapults or who doesn't and the advantages and disadvantages that would have. And I was thinking of all the different expertise Mm. that an ancient military had to carry with them, including a mathematician. And what kind of tools did that mathematician have to use? I don't know. But it's been interesting already, and we're just getting started, right? Okay, I'm going to move us back to history with this fact. Everything I read says that Kublai Khan used catapults more than China, and it said he used them very successfully. You know, Mm. Sensei, we should take a look at Kublai Khan one day. I'll add it to the list. Meanwhile, let's hang for a minute with the trebuchet. It is an old French word, and for this section, we mostly and surprisingly found a lot of the information on the Oxford Dictionary and Dictionary.com sites. You're right. Under the actual meaning of the word, it's just that it was a machine used in medieval warfare for hurling projectiles. Okay, this is interesting. A trebuchet is a catapult, but all catapults are not trebuchets. Sounds like geometry again. All, <laughs> all squares are diamonds, but all diamonds are in squares. Ah. And that's because trebuchets work on counterweight, where the catapults work by springs or ropes. Right, right. The way trebuchets work is that when the weight is released in the trebuchet, the object flies. And on a medieval engineering site on YouTube, they had some great visuals in case people want to investigate more. Yes. We all suggest you look. Yes. There's some really cool stuff on there. Even the simple discussions on YouTube made my head explode. Us. Us. <laughs> I agree with that. Us. I can understand that because it is based on complicated math, but I'll share a short explanation that I found. Uh, first, you build a stand with an axle on top. Then you attach a pole to the axle and make sure that the flinging side is four times longer than the counterweight side. Mm. After that, fill the counterweight side with enough weight to fling your object. Of course, you need to create tension by pulling your flingable object down using a wench and manpower and then finally let her rip and everybody's having a great time until the trebuchet hits you in the okay okay dude it's, <laughs> it's like nunchucks hitting you <laughs> <laughs> well back to the topic what made the trebuchet popular was the fact that the distance flung using the trebuchet could reach one quarter of a mile. Yes, one quarter of a mile. With the catapult, you could only reach between 500 to 1,000 feet, which is still pretty impressive for ancient times. Mm -hmm. That's according to the historians. But if you are an expert on trebuchets and catapults, we want to know so you know how to get in touch. Us. Mm -hmm. Also, 
the trebuchet could throw something as heavy as 400 pounds. Can you believe that? Ouch. I have trouble picturing it. It's tough. It's tough to see something that big or something with that much mass flying at you. Is a cow about 400 pounds? No, much more. Oh, because I was thinking of the movie Twister. (laughs) Ew, why are we so graphic today? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. So I'm pushing on a little because I read that catapults are used in the video game Age of Empires. Did you ever play that game, Sensei Derek? Uh, Only very briefly. But I will say a lot of those medieval via movies or games or shows, whatever, you do see some type of warfare, and especially warfare machines such as catapults, trebuchets, some version of the fling in there. Wow. In arsenal. That makes me want to look at it. <laughs> I'm just saying it does. Okay. Before we move on to pumpkin chunking. Gosh, what even is that? <laughs> <laughs> I just hear pumpkin chunking and I'm like, oh God. Pumpkin Chunkin' is so famous, I can't believe you haven't heard of it before. Well, if I don't know it, it's not famous. <laughs> <laughs> That's my like favorite response to everything. If I don't know it, it didn't happen. <laughs> Fine, I accept that. But before we move on to what you don't accept yet, let's mention the ballista. It's basically a giant crossbow, and we do love our bows. Yes, oh. we do, Sensei. The ballista was invented by the Greeks, according to study.com. And it was improved later by the Romans. Which will totally be debatable by all people Mm -hmm. who listen to this podcast. Of course, but that's okay. By the Middle Ages, it had become seriously popular. And one more thing, just as reference. The Middle Ages was from the 5th century to about the 15th century, which is, you know, a thousand years. I'm glad Mm -hmm. she added the time because I was going to have to look it up. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. Okay. Did the ballista work the same way as the catapult and the trebuchet? Did you notice that? Well, it's complicated. But according to Britannica, they were powered by twisted cords tightened by a wench. So it's kind of like a catapult. Us. I can see it a little bit. Thanks. Mm. We're going to move on to the history of pumpkin chunkin. And if you want to look that up, you spell it P-U-N-K-I-N-C-H-U-N-K-I-N. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I have been looking forward to this part. Most of this information came from a site called CecilDaily.com, which turns out to be a paper for Cecil County in Maryland on the border of Delaware and Pennsylvania. And already I'm learning stuff. How cool was it to see that? It I, was, I loved it. It was mm-hmm. so cool. Okay, so <laughs> clearly I don't know anything about pumpkin chunkin, but Sensei is helping me out to learn about it, and I'm going to share it with you. Pumpkin Chunkin, in case you're like me and didn't know, is exactly that. A contest to see who can fling a pumpkin the farthest. Here are the rules. Who knew there were rules? I did not know, but share them with us. Well, Pumpkin Chunkers did. I guess that everybody's (laughs) got a name. (laughs) Okay, what are the rules already? So the pumpkins have to weigh in at the beginning, and they must weigh 8 to 10 pounds. There are no explosives allowed. <laughs> like you carved the pumpkin and boosh! Happy Halloween! The fact come that on, this, right come on this, this is a written rule. Are you kidding me? Your machine couldn't cross the starting line during the throw. And finally, the pumpkin had to be in one piece as it left the machine. Uh, the rule seems simple enough. And I have a little history. 
Okay. I don't know about the explosive. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I have complete visual on why they had to put no explosive. Me too. A hundred percent. That's who, sad that well, they had to write because that. Because next they're going to turn it into a cannon chunking. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Yes. And it would not leave the device in one piece. <laughs> oh, no. And that just runs the risk of everybody else that's there. Okay, <sighs> Sensei Derek, tell us the history. All right. Well, for one thing, throwing food isn't new. Uh, it's been around for ages. For example, throwing tomatoes at bad performers in ancient times. Is that why it's called Rotten Tomatoes, the website? Yes. So because back in the day when Shakespearean plays and, and plays were very popular, tomatoes were seen as something that uh, if you, you couldn't eat, it was bad for you or something like that. It, it, it showed displeasure if they yeah, threw yeah. it out, wow. right? I don't like this visual. This visual is way worse than me than pumpkin <laughs> chunking. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back to the history, shall we? Uh, this information was from the article by Mr. Katowski for the Cecil Daily. He even wrote a book about it. That's cool. <laughs> he said that it started in a backyard or possibly a blacksmith's shop in Delaware in 1986, where four guys were arguing about who could throw something the farthest. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I'm a, so sorry. Just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but I could see this happening anywhere in the United States. Well, anywhere in the world. And get, at any given point. Uh, I'm surprised that it only took until 1986 that, right? that, that happened. Thank you. <laughs> that turned into a challenge, and pumpkins were the throwing object that they chose. That is a great story. It certainly turned into a huge thing. It was even televised on the Science Channel. That's true. And we'll get back to that. But let's round Robin some pumpkin chunkin' facts. <laughs> I know, it's a fun sentence. Who's starting? Us. I'll start with one memorable launch technique from Katowski's research. Under the category human catapult, interesting, a guy pedaled a bike backwards to create force to launch his pump. And I've got one. An entire troop of brownies, like Girl Scouts, not the food, was the counterweight <laughs> for one launch. That's funny. Could you imagine a group of brownies just... Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm having trouble picturing all of this. I, I can't. As long as the brownies weren't in the fling seat, it was okay. And when... <laughs> but you've got a fact for us, don't you, Landon? Yes, not about food. <laughs> And when he wrote the book, the world record distance was an eighth of a mile in 2003. But it's found that the new record was set in 2010. And yes, there's a Guinness World Record for everything. Set by an air cannon of 5,545.43 feet. That is approximately 17 football fields. And that's over a mile. Oh, wow. 17 football fields. And just for this episode, we're not getting into how air cannons work. We'll have to talk about that That's another day, right? But good cannons idea. is a good subject for the future. Oh, we haven't oh, done cannons, have we? I like that idea. From the hand cannons all the way to the yeah. like I hadn't even thought of it till just this minute. But I've got something fun to add. Are you ready? Yes. Uh, there is a pumpkin chunkin' theme song. Did any of you look it up? Because I did. I didn't Are you know. kidding me? Yeah, no. <laughs> I pumpkin totally I totally Recommend everybody look it up on YouTube. The contest or the song? Both, of course. Okay. <laughs> All right. On we go, shall we? Yes. This is the sad news about pumpkin chunking. <laughs> In 2016, an air cannon misfired and threw pumpkin chunks out, and a TV crew member was really seriously hurt. At that event, the Science Channel quit airing mm. the show. That is horrible. And like everything else in 2020, Pumpkin Chunkin was affected by COVID. True. 
But Pumpkin Chunkin has its own website. And here in 2022, there will be Chunkin Pumpkins. Time and place to be announced. Can we all go, please? (laughs) (laughs) So listen, if you're a chunker, (laughs) will you keep us informed? Thanks. And we're not kidding. We really do want to know. Yes, we where do. To catch it. Live from the Pumpkin Chunkin' Competition. I'll okay. get Dojo Conversations. I'm changing subjects to take this one home. Can you believe it? Okay, Sensei. We have some non-Pumpkin Chunking Catapult facts. <laughs> I just say that. I know. That was a, that was a mouthful. Uh, Are you going to start us out again, Sensei Derek? Uh, I'll start it off. Pirates use catapults in the 1600s. And I'll add that although they are an ancient weapon, they're still used today to launch gliders and other aircraft off aircraft carriers. Mm. I did not realize that. No. Huh. That's an interesting uh, visual. In fact, the Navy's Ford class carriers are building and testing, get this, an electromagnetic catapult. Now we're Mm. on to chemistry. We left geometry and went to chemistry (laughs) called the E-M-A-L-S Electromagnetic Launch System. And I watched a video of launches and explanations on YouTube. I totally suggest everyone check it out. The plane is accelerated at 160 knots in two seconds. That beats zero to 60. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, honestly, my mind is exploded at the mm. thought of what that must feel like to your body. Ugh, I, I, know. Even, I can't even imagine it. Me either. And I got some help here. 160 knots is at 184 miles an hour in two seconds. So the information we got was from YouTube. If you feel we got our numbers wrong, please get in touch with us because we would love to hear from you because it doesn't matter if you're zero to 100 miles an hour in two seconds. We want to know from you, what did that feel like? Uh, (laughs) Right? Not good. (laughs) I just, I can't imagine how your body gets used to that. Me either. But that, by far and away, was the fact to end on, right? Us, us. We loved it. And you can't buy catapults, but you can buy, I don't know if she sells pumpkins, but you can (laughs) buy martial arts material, maybe the color of a pumpkin, at Honor Honor Athletics, Athletics, of course. course. Let's see. I'll start out. You can call Cynthia at 770-945-5150. Or you can scroll down in our notes. And click the link. Honor Dash Athletics. And please mention Wildcat Dojo for your 10% discount. It's pretty much free shipping. Who doesn't love some free shipping? And we really appreciate your support and Cynthia's continued partnership. Absolutely. Thank you. And also, thank you, Cynthia Derek. Oh, so I'm glad I could be here. No, you know you're a regular these days. <laughs> so start our goodbyes for us. Uh, again, thank you so much for having me on. And bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. This was a fun one. It was. I enjoyed being here. And on that note, I am signing us out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.